The New Testament letters written by the Apostle Paul are often viewed as the core of Christian theology and faith. Given how often the Pauline epistles are preached, one might think that Paul is responsible for the majority of the biblical content. However, the 13 Pauline letters which are included in the New Testament canon make up only 5-6% to of the Bible and are disproportionately represented in sermons from the pulpit. As a result of this, how a church interprets Paul is often a marker of its identity and therefore an untouchable aspect of its own tradition. Not only that, but with deconstruction among Christians becoming increasingly common, Paul is often their preferred target for those who are beginning to question the faith that has been handed down to them. A face value reading of Paul seems to include endorsements of horrific institutions such as slavery and the suppression of women. Indeed, throughout church history, Paul's texts have often been used to justify many horrific acts and evil deeds. With such wide-ranging perspectives of Paul present in our modern context, how should the Christian, one who wants to be faithful to the biblical text but also relevant for his own time, engage with the Pauline letters of the New Testament? Should the writings of Paul be the center of how we understand the Christian faith? Are the epistles supposed to be viewed as theological textbooks or something else entirely? Who decides which sections of Paul's letters apply to our lives today and which don't? All that and more on this edition of Questions from the People. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, the intersection of faith and culture. We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. Hey, it's great to be here. Yep. Ooh. What episode is this now? Episode five. Five. Yeah, we're really in that. mid-season here. Yeah. Mid-season form. That's wow. what they say in, in sports. Wow. In the sports. <laughs> <laughs> Things about which I know nothing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the Olympics are going on. That's a good, I mean, that's sports. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, once every four years. Or I guess every two because of the Winter two, Olympics. Yeah. Well, this this time around, it's like twice in one year because the winter olympics will be i think in like january february right is that because it's the 2022 oh, yeah. winter olympics that's true man <laughs> so anyway it's crazy wild, times wild world <laughs> <laughs> well hey let's go ahead and dive in yeah that sounds great um, to me yeah this is uh this is a the second installment or not second installment i guess but like a uh, a follow-up to our previous episode so, sort of a follow-up um sure more so following in the same stream of kind of our area of interest, which is, you know, biblical studies, biblical interpretation, uh, that yeah, sort of absolutely. thing. Are you saying it's a follow-up to uh Oh, it's not a follow-up, but like... To a, how to read the Bible. That was, wasn't that a season zero? Uh, yeah. No, I'm talking specifically about the the violence of the Old Testament episode oh, oh, that we yes. just uh, did last True. month. Yeah, I guess uh, we're hitting them hard at the biblical studies yeah. here. So that's Going one after the <laughs> other. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, I mean... I think part of the reason we wanted to talk about this or I wanted to talk about this is just growing up Paul's letters. And, and we said this in the intro, it's kind of disproportionately what you heard from preachers. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I just feel like 
most, I don't want to put a number on it because I don't know exactly, but I feel like definitely above 50% of sermons was devoted to, you know, this 5% of the Bible, Mm. Um, which I felt like, or I guess growing up, uh, you know, it was just like, oh, I guess like Paul's like really important. You know what I mean? And that's like the, that's the nexus of, of how I, or the center of, you know, of my biblical understanding. And I guess to me, there's a couple of reasons why I think that that is the case. Like why, you know, preachers are so attracted to them. One, I think it it's like addressed in the second person, right? So it's like you, you know, right. there's commands. It's like you do this or don't do this or, you know, it's, it's addressed to me. Whereas like narrative, for instance, in the Old Testament is not addressed to me mm-hmm. or like poetry, you know, throughout the Bible, that's not addressed to me. Um, I mean, even the prophets, it's like, I guess it can be in the second person, but it's like talking about Tyre and they're going to come in here and it's like, where is that city Damascus? You know, I don't know what's happening. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's easier to, to interpret, right? Paul's epistles. Cause like one chronologically speaking, we're, you know, we're closer to Paul than we were to, you know, the writers of the old Testament. And then two, just even the style and the rhetoric that he, you know, the, that he uses um, sure. are are a lot more similar to the way that we t- t- a lot more similar to our you know lines of argumentation and logic that we're familiar sure. with um, today. Yeah, that's fair. Largely because I mean we're drawing from the same <laughs> from the right. same pool in terms of you know philosophy sure. logic. Well, I think that's like like one of the th- the things that I wanted to get at, which maybe this is putting the cart in front of the horse, but I feel like you're right in saying that. And then because of that, we feel like they're more approachable. So it's Mm. like, Oh yeah. Like I understand what's going on here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas like, we'll we'll go to the old Testament and we'll start reading. And it's like, I have no idea what's going on, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, I need to, I need some sort of thing to help me because I don't even know what I'm looking at. Whereas we come to the epistles and we say, Hey, I think, I think I know what's going on. Right. Even though we might not necessarily know what's going on. Yeah. And I think that's what makes the, and this is, might be an, another topic for another day, but I think that's <laughs> one reason why the Old Testament is so easily allegorized and uh, the Old Testament texts are more read for um, for values, I guess, or like sure. good lessons as opposed to yeah. the way Moral that... Moral examples. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I think the, uh, I mean, we mentioned this in the intro as well, but a lot of... Uh, a lot of Christians who are deconstructing, uh, you know, which is a term that's come up often in our podcast, just because it's happening within our age groups. Um, yes. You know, people who've grown up in the church and are now um, having an existential faith crisis. Um, and sure. a lot of it has to do with Paul. Um, but I think. Right. And, and like, just like reading through a bunch of different forums or like YouTube comments. Um, sure. A lot of people are uh, very, uh, very angry at a person they've never met before and who <laughs> sure. and who is separated by a couple of thousand years from them. <laughs> sure. Well, I guess to me, a, a part of why I think that happens. And once again, I think we might have mentioned this a little bit in the intro. So maybe we're just rehashing. But but I think for a lot of churches, Paul, like Paul is the center. And so whatever, you know, I guess I'll just say, like, I think sometimes pastors can think they know what they're seeing. And so it's like, great, this is what it's saying. 
Whereas I think those are actually not the greatest interpretations sometimes. Um, and I think a little later, I want to get into maybe a couple considerations that will both help people who like centralize Paul as like, this is the central, you know, most important thing for Christianity and that we preach every week. Mm -hmm. And then people who like have those grievances, which I think sometimes are fair grievances, um, depending on your church tradition and like what they taught about Paul. I mean, I think some of it is, and I mean, yeah, like we said, it's, Paul is a very, I guess, loaded in the sense that you can take it out of context so easily because it is, I don't know if you've heard uh, like Tim Mackey talk about like, it's like reading someone else's mail. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. Sorry, did I say Tom or did I say No, you Tim? said Tim. Okay, Tim Mackey, yeah. yes. Tom Mackey, his stepbrother. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, he like he says it's like reading someone else's mail. So it's yeah. like, I even had this experience recently where uh ruth was on a phone call having a conversation um and like just by what she was saying i was like oh i like think i know what she's talking about Mm -hmm. and so then when she hung up i was like oh were you talking to this person and she was like no i wasn't at all (laughs) like i was talking to this other and i was like oh that makes sense also but like hearing one side of a conversation can lead to some serious misunderstanding sure um which anyway, I think we'll get to that later. But yeah, I'm sure we will. Hopefully, I guess my hope for this podcast is that it kind of destabilizes your view of Paul, whether it's like he is the most important thing to Christian theology mm-hmm. or it's he's this evil, you know, bad person who took Jesus's message and, and destroyed it or whatever. Yeah. So hope I'm hoping that this can, like I said, destabilize both of those yeah. views. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, do you want to start with... Um... Maybe it's some false perceptions or misunderstandings of him. I mean, what have what have you sure. you seen? I've got a couple in mind, but yeah, what have you seen as common ones? Sure. Yeah, I guess the ones that I hear, and and a lot of times it's from I guess my more uh, just my more liberal type friends, you know, about like I guess his like. Um, submission of women um whether it's in like the house or in like church leadership mm-hmm. um also the fact that he never like outright um um uh what's the word outright condemns like slavery right. and that kind of a thing and there's a lot of essentially there's a lot of things now that i think most christians would agree are like wrong or like you know um yeah i guess just wrong that he like doesn't necessarily address. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't he address it? You know, if this right. really is something from God, you'd think that God would tell him to say, you know, to condemn mm-hmm. very clear wrongs, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Which I think that there's re I think hopefully later on we'll, we'll get to why that is, but yeah, those are just a couple. I don't know. What, what were you thinking? Yeah. I mean, a couple, um, I mean, they line up with, with a couple of yours. I mean, that he's, uh, misogynistic or sexist or chauvinist sure. you know or any combination <laughs> of the three <laughs> yeah. um that he's uh, a classist as well and that kind of like mm. moves into the area of um of you know the whole slavery um debacle sure. as well um, um obviously the whole pro-slave that he was pro-slavery uh, misunderstanding right. um and then a big one is that he's homophobic um, sure yeah uh, but then sure. also that he was anti anti-semitic as well which is very 
very interesting to me, given the way he describes himself and how he is described even in right. the book of Acts. Um, but yeah, there were, yeah, I've seen a couple of those um, instances where people really see him as being very anti-Jewish or, um, I guess, betraying right. his Jewish roots. Uh, it's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I feel like that. I mean, I've never heard that until just now, but I can see how somebody might think that. But also, mm-hmm. Paul is a Jew and never says that yeah. he's not a Jew. <laughs> literally, I mean, I he calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Anyways, interesting. Is that what he says? I think that's what he says. Yeah, I would say. I don't remember exactly where that is, but... Someone correct us if we're wrong. <laughs> yes, literally. Yeah, I guess just to get us started into the conversation of resolving some of this tension... I guess one thing that has been great that I learned from John Walton and I've heard others say it as well is to say like the Bible is written for us in the sense that it's like, you know, Christian scripture that is for our worship and, you know, meditation and wisdom, but it's also not written to us. That is to say we weren't like the intended audience Mm -hmm. or the intended culture like in which Mm -hmm. it was written. And I think it, it gets at just at an important point of all scripture which is like context is we have to be accountable to the context that it's written in but then the the letters have an even or like the epistles paul's epistles specifically like have another layer of context like which it's not only just like cultural context and like literary form and that kind of a thing but it's also like situational like you know what was the actual situation between Paul and the Corinthians or Paul and the Ephesians or Paul and the Philippians, Paul and the Romans. There's this like added, added layer of context that is also, that we also need to take into Mm -hmm. account, which I feel like, I don't know, to me, it's just, that really throws everyone for a loop. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And maybe we'll get to some examples, but. Well, I think you bring up, I think you bring up a good point though about that because like there's, yeah, like you said, there are so many different levels and nuances of what we mean when we say context, right? Because. Right, sure. I recently preached through uh, the second chapter of uh, Colossians, and in that book, Paul is addressing these false teachings that have started to kind of creep into that into that group of you know uh, group of Christians. But he doesn't outright um, explain what the teachings were. Mm. So you know, us, you know, being modern readers, we are left with his rebuttal to those false teachings alone. And and we he and that's a layer of context of background information that we are not privy to because he assumes that his readers know exactly what he's talking about. Sure, we don't. Right. right. Well, that's I mean a lot of so like a big chunk in multiple of his letters they go into sections where it's now concerning and then a topic that they brought up to him mm-hmm. uh, in their letter uh, and then he'll answer it and so it's like okay. Like we have to start to infer, you know, what were the questions? Um, And I mean, another thing that's kind of related to that is oftentimes Paul will quote the other side, you know, within the actual letters. Yeah. So it's like when he does that, it's like, oh, no, like it's hard to say is Paul quoting this because obviously in the Greek manuscripts, there are no quotation marks. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're receiving a letter in response to your letter, you obviously know what words you used. So when you hear it, you don't need clarification. Oh, these are my, you know, these mm-hmm. are my words or our words, I should say. Mm-hmm. So 
but when it comes to us and we just see kind of these sometimes competing uh viewpoints within a paragraph sure. it's like ah you know what what is paul trying to say like what are paul's words yeah. and what are either either the his audience's words or just like a you know a conflicting group you know what i'm yeah. saying or another group mm -hmm. and so that's like i think a lot of the misunderstanding can happen when we don't take into consideration oh these are these are paul's words and like these are the words he's actually addressing Mm -hmm. They're not, he's not trying to espouse like certain views. Right. All right, yeah, so I guess as an example, if you go to like 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and 13, um, different translations will do different things with it. So the NASB, for instance, doesn't put any quotation marks or anything in there. And so it can be quite confusing. I'll read it. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. However, God will do away with both of them. But the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. So I just, I don't even know what's happening in that. <laughs> I just, I actually don't get what's going on. Whereas different translations will say, okay, the only way to make sense of this is that Paul is responding to some held thought that the Corinthians had, or mm -hmm. like an opposing view um, that was present at the time. Um, so what the NI or NIV will do is in quotation marks, it'll say, I have the right to do anything. Basically saying, this is what the Corinthians are saying, or just an opposing group. Mm -hmm. uh, and then outside of quotation marks, it has, but not everything is beneficial. And then inside of quotation marks, it says, I have the right to do anything. And then outside of quotation marks, so it's Paul speaking, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then it, you know, it, it keeps going yeah. on from there. Yeah. So that's where... A lot of the confusion comes from, you know, pastors reading their Bible uh, in, in English, which is great, um, but then not understanding that this isn't a complete thought in and of itself. This is a response to, mm -hmm. you know, somebody else's thought. Yeah. Um, so it's not Paul's view. It's more so the actual opposing yeah. view. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost even a, I might even kind of push it to an extreme, but it's almost a, an ex, uh, a caricature of of what he's probably heard or things that have been relayed to him that churches sure. are, you know, Christians are, are thinking. I like what the, um, so like you mentioned, the NASB is a very literal um, translation. It doesn't give you any clues as to, you know, whether Paul's quoting something or whether it's his thoughts. Sure. Um, the NIV that you had um, given as an example gives a, a more thought by thought kind of, hey, this is what Paul was trying to get at. Right. Um, the NRSV and I think the ESV does this as well, kind of bridges the, those two approaches together where it still offers a very word for word kind of translation, but it adds 
the the it adds quotation marks essentially to for sure. the claims that Paul is you know trying to address, and for so sure. it differentiates between what he's addressing and his own thoughts. So that's for that's sure. helpful as well. And yeah, yeah. So I would say, I mean, find a translation that you know, I guess fits your needs. Um, but I would say also read different translations because that's where they'll put quotations in different places. You know, depending on what that translation committee thinks is the correct mm-hmm. you know interpretation obviously yeah. and so that's where you can actually you know even if you don't know anything about context or um yeah you, you don't feel trained you can still get in the ballpark of what options you know mm-hmm. scholars have taken by looking at these translations and saying oh this this one differs from you know they put their quotation marks here whereas the niv puts their quotation marks here right and then you're you're in the conversation at least of okay what you know, what is this getting at yeah. rather than just being totally and utterly confused. Cause honestly yeah. with, without the quotes, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that, that even, um, that's a culprit in terms of another, um, maybe less common misconception of Paul is that he's just all over the place in his letters. Sure. Um, and I think that's partly why, um, you know, you get instances like the NSA, NASB where it is a little bit unclear if you just take it from a, you know, from a first reading of sure. the text itself. Sure. Um, but yeah, well, hey, that's a, that's a plug for multiple, you know, Bible yeah. versions and translations. Absolutely. And what you were saying, I guess the thing that I heard a lot of times growing up is like, we just have like a, you know, a straight up reading of the Bible or like a face value reading. You know, we just read the Bible and we do it. And I guess like there's a, there's a number of, of problems with that. One is I, I don't think anybody really reads these letters and does everything in them. Uh, once again, the tradition I grew up in, lots of traditions. I mean, we don't greet each other with a holy kiss every time that we interact, although it might be fun. No. <laughs> anyway, we obviously don't do that. Um, and, you know, most traditions don't require women to wear head coverings, although, you know, some do. Um, looking at you, Amish and... Uh, and conservative <laughs> anyway which is fine uh but it just shows that everyone is picking and choosing you know which which of these you know commands that paul gives are contextual and so mm-hmm. they don't apply to us and you know we can learn maybe a principle from them um if we understand the context but the command itself is not you know that's not necessarily to be followed right. so we're all doing that and that's where to me, it's the the better understanding we can get of the context, both culturally and then also situationally of, mm-hmm. you know, how Paul is in relationship with these churches. It just helps us in understanding, okay, this is a command that, um, you know, that is more so for that specific context versus, oh, this is like the principle um, that we could pull out, you know what I mean, from mm-hmm. from this command. Yeah. Yeah. And I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I guess, and maybe this is, maybe this is going to be wild and, and maybe it'll be fun if you can inter, interface with it. But I guess that's what the, I guess the stance that I'm taking more and more with Paul and with really all of the epistles um, is something that I learned. I think, I think the Bible Project may have been, it, have been the first place I heard it, uh, but then also, uh, there's a book called the, I believe it's Paul, the ancient letter writer of like, this is essentially the first attempt to integrate 
the gospel message. So Jesus's message in like a different context that isn't Jewish, mm. a Jewish context. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So that's where a lot of it is, you know, Paul is figuring out, you know, there's this young fledgling group of multi-ethnic, multicultural people right. who are all eating together, which never happened really in, mm-hmm. you know, in ancient Rome or in the Roman empire, I should say. So there's this, you know, this new group and he's trying to figure out the best way to live out kind of the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus was preaching, like in this new context. And that's where to me, I guess the more and more I learn about it, the more it's like, okay, this is almost like a case study as to how to contextualize the gospel rather than like, this is the a theological, and I think you mentioned earlier, like a theological treatise or like mm-hmm. a systematic theology of how yeah. it, you know, how yeah. Christian theology is yeah. done. Yeah. So that's that's more and more what I'm learning. No, I agree completely. I mean, he wrote very specific letters to very particular groups of Christians um, and, and not broad treatises. One, he was traveling all over the place, starting new churches, visiting others, right? So he did not, he just did not have the right. time sure. <laughs> or even the materials maybe to sure. to write. Right. So. So N.T. Wright puts him at the same category in terms of intellectual stamina and just um, uh, the effect that he's had on modern culture. He he puts the Apostle Paul as at the same level as people like Seneca or Cicero, those classic Roman uh, philosophers and statesmen. Sure. Th- the difference, though, is that they had the time and the money and the you know the materials to write the long treatises that we have, mm. and and there we have you know we still publish. They're, you know, the books of Seneca, the works of Cicero, that sort of thing. But what we have of Paul are these short letters because he was always on the go. Right. And so they are not meant to be, um, I I don't think they're meant to be um, applied broad strokes to every situation, though he did instruct some letters like the the Colossian, uh, the letter to the Colossians, he instructed at the at the end to to read, have it read to the church in Laodicea as well. Presumably because they were probably experiencing a lot of the things that he addressed in his letter to the Colossians. So there are instances right. like that. But sure. in many respects, and each of his letters has a very particular theme because it's a very particular topic that he's addressing. Sure. So that's sure. so that's one thing to keep in mind, right? But then the other thing is that Paul was an authority in the early mm. church, but he wasn't the sole authority. Mm. Right. The other sure. apostles were there and and um, obviously he wrote a lot more. At least we have more of his, you know, the manuscripts maybe from his letters. Sure. But he wrote to churches that had their own pastors. So we have to assume that those individuals were also teaching mm. their congregations, not simply waiting you know, for Paul's next epistle to them, sure. right? But, like, sure. he learned about the Colossian church. He's never even visited them. I'm I'm saying this because Colossians is fresh in my mind from studying this, but sure. at the beginning, he says that he's never seen them face-to-face. They, they haven't seen him. He learns about them through his co-worker, so through his ministry partner, Epaphras. Sure. And that'll impact the letter, obviously, because he's kind mm-hmm. of introducing himself with the letter. Right. Whereas, like, with the Corinthians, for instance... Well, one thing is that First Corinthians is really Second Corinthians, and Second Corinthians is really Fourth Corinthians, because <laughs> we're missing his other letters to yeah, them. Right. But like, there's such like a history between mm-hmm. 
that it's it's like that a much we're not different... privy to. Yeah, well, literally, that's what, so. We can do our best to infer. It's like yeah. okay, so if Paul is if Paul is you know making a, I guess an assertion or a command, I mean we can imagine that it's something that needed to be addressed. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just like I mean it's it's just like we're trying to uh, the phone call you know, metaphor from earlier is we're trying to understand what the entire phone call is about just from hearing one side of Mm -hmm. it. Um, And you can do it to a perfect, or not perfect, to a certain extent, but you can't do it perfectly. Right. Um, So that's where, I mean, yeah, a lot of this is, is tough because it's, it's incomplete. You know what I mean? And we want, we want a full, okay, Paul, you know, what did you think about this? And like lay out your thoughts in a, Mm-hmm. you know, in a precise manner. But really what he's doing is, oh, you guys are, are struggling with this. Well, let me like, here's a little snippet of my own theology or, or whatever that will hopefully mm-hmm. help you yeah. or it'll address this issue that you're yeah. facing. Or this is how the gospel addresses that or how, how it yeah. should speak or affect the way you think about this, this issue. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Which that, here's, I do have one example of, um, in my New Testament class uh, with Dr. Ehorn, that was just really helpful for me. It's 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 22. So this one is about, um, well, basically he's upset. Like they're not doing the Lord's mm. Supper right in some way. Uh, and to me, it it's just always confusing um, because it's like, why, you know, why is he getting mad that people are like eating a lot at the Lord's Supper and like, what's going on here? He's like telling them, you know, eat at home. You don't need to you know, humiliate the people who don't have very much by eating. And it's like, I don't, one, like, what is he talking about? Is he saying that the Lord's Supper, which the way that this was always taught to me was like, he's saying the Lord's Supper should be a solemn time, which I think he does say that in other, he might say that in other passages, I'm not sure. Um, But it's like, it's supposed to be solemn. It's not supposed to be like a a big celebration with lots of food or whatever. But really, uh, I guess, so Dr. Ehorn, which he's great, and what he was talking about is like, well, actually, there's, uh, there's like these practices of public, like dinners, which, um, which the rich people would be invited to, but obviously not the poor. So like when essentially they were treating the Lord's Supper or the Christian gathering like one of those, where the rich people would all eat all the food, the poor people would come in after the work from the day, because obviously they're working and doing that kind of thing, and then there's not anything left, and it's like, oh, oh, so we're we really do still have a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, of, you know, the the well-to-do are up top getting, you know, obviously right. eating and enjoying themselves. The poor people come in and they're not even at the table and there's no food left. And so that's when, I guess these these accusations of Paul as like a classist or that right. kind of a thing, is he was actually way ahead of his time because yeah. he, was, he was about integrating, you mm-hmm. know, those uh, those groups. And he's trying to get them to be unified and to see themselves as equals, you know, yeah. equal. I don't know if he would use kind of the words we use, like equality and that sure. kind of a thing. But that's um, re- that would be reading the text anachronistically, right? That's importing right. modern conceptions of equality and justice right. onto an ancient context and into an ancient text. Right. And that's, right. Unf- that's unfair. Exactly. Well, that's where it's, it's incredible for the context it's in, which that's where... If you if you think that these are divinely you know dictated heavenly tablets from above, I think that's where you're going to run into some problems. Spoiler alert: they aren't. <laughs> they, they are not. <laughs> yeah, they were written by humans, and so that's where the humanity of the Bible really shows because it's 
Paul is ahead of his time for, hey, you know, the poor people, the slave with your master, you sit at the same table and you're, you see each other, you know, once again, I'm importing, so that's my fault. But it's, it's, toward, it's towards our conception of equality in a time when there was no, no thought whatsoever mm-hmm. towards that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Paul is one in a long line of biblical, biblical authors who are, you know, if I'm going to use modern language, more progressive than their right. culture. Sure. Right. Not progressive when, in our sense, but right. progressive just from yeah. their cultures. <laughs> yeah, you judge progressivism by the by the immediate context, not right. your your own context. That exactly. that is a faithful reading of any text, not even the, right. just the Bible. Right. So Absolutely. if you look at the Old Testament, the way that their laws about uh, you know the slaves that they had, or how they treated women, or even like cattle, livestock, or even just like you know statuary laws. They are much more progressive. Again, I'm going to use sure. that term. They would be seen as much more progressive than their ancient Near East counterparts. Look at the code of um, of Hammurabi or any other ancient law texts, um, sure. and you can actually find them easily online. But they are going to be a lot more brutal than the biblical text. Now, right. that doesn't take away from the discomfort, maybe, that we feel as a modern audience. But sure. for an ancient audience to which this text was written, that would have been liberating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the same well, with Paul. Well, that's where, like, um, so, like, even the the question of slavery, like, in the New Testament, because obviously, you know, Paul, I think multiple times, you know, it's, you know, slaves obey your masters, that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. The book of Philemon is, yeah, he, yeah sure, is all about well, that, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing is uh, in Philemon with An- what is it, Onesius? Ones- I forget it. Onesimus. 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 There we go. Well, he says, like, don't just receive him as a slave, but receive him as a brother. Yeah. So already yeah. that's like well, you're telling me. Well, a sl- it's, it's funny Sorry, because he said, no, I, I agree with you. As yeah. Don't receive him as a slave. Receive him as more than that. Right. As a brother. Exactly. Right. Which that's where it's like. Uh, a slave and a mask, a master, like calling themselves each other brother. And like, mm-hmm. you know, is just an unheard of thing that just didn't happen you right. know, in that in that time. And so that's where the thing about uh, slaves obey your masters. A part of that, too, is just like the cultural reality that they were living in. Mm-hmm. So obviously we live, at least in the United States, in a reality or in a culture that says, like, you can make a difference and like you can vote and you can work and you can do all this stuff to change your culture whereas there it's just rome dominates the world mm-hmm. so it's like we're not gonna abolish slavery <laughs> like in this world you know what I mean? yeah. and once again i don't know if i don't even think that's on paul's radar once well, again yeah, because what's of on? cultural mm-hmm. like you know his context he's right. not thinking i can change the institution of slavery he's like how do i get this once again small multi-ethnic group of mm-hmm. people to like look like the community yeah. of God. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Paul's message of the gospel was that Christ has triumphed over all spiritual and physical authorities. And so in light of that, we live under his lordship, under his dominion. So that should affect the way we uh, interact with each other. Right. And sure. so he, it wasn't that he, yeah, exactly. He was not trying to change the Roman empire. He, he was trying to teach these small groups of believers how to live under the lordship of Christ while being in a context that was worshiping Caesar as Lord.
I guess to me that's where the more that I read Paul, the more is it's like it's a case study of how to do integration of the biblical story, you know, the biblical message, which I think you can get from. And if you're like, well, what's the, you know, what's the textbook of the biblical story and message? Well, I'd mm-hmm. say, well, it's the Old Testament and, you know, the, I guess the New Testament, but the Gospels, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think it's kind of a case study of how to integrate that. Mm-hmm. And so we, we take principles and, you know, how is he, you know, how is he working this um, to try to make the community more and more reflective of, you know, kind of God's kingdom or the reality that Jesus tried to bring in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where, I guess, back to the idea we were talking about early of this, I read it, I do it, you know, like what I see, you know, kind of a face value reading is what I'm going to do. To me, it's just, that's just being irresponsible because it's saying my my cultural context has precedent over, you know, mm. where this where this text was written. Mm-hmm. And so, and to me, it, it's kind of just like, it's an easy cop out because it's like I no longer have to do any work to try to contextualize the gospel, right? Because I just what I read is what I do, and so yeah. I don't have to like do any work on it. And it's just yeah. that's what I'm. It's kind of like a it's a free pass to not actually be accountable to yeah. to scripture, really. <laughs> yeah. Some some Bible scholars and theologians have criticized kind of what you've been describing because there's just. There's this uh, way or a method or approach to the interpretation of the Bible called the grammatical, historical grammatical approach to the text. Yes. Versus, you know, you're, you, we value the text highly, obviously, but then we also um, also uphold the historical background that informs our reading of what we have in the grammar, in the text itself. Um, but some scholars and theologians have criticized the... Um, the hyper-focus on the grammatical aspect of the historical grammatical approach sure um to the detriment of forgetting about the historical contextual side of things mm. um and there's been a movement call um of a like a, a a what some scholars would say like a subset or maybe a complement to the histor- the traditional historical grammatical approach um it's called the redemptive movement or the trajectory hermeneutic mm. and the whole idea is that like you you you've got a seed text is what they call it so let's take um, you know, again, Paul's stance on on slavery. He didn't, uh, you know, he didn't call for the abolition of slavery. He didn't call for, you know, every you know Christian slave owner to to release their slaves. But instead, he in, he exhorted them. He commanded them to treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, he commanded them to treat them better. And so, what uh, what um, what this hermeneutic, this way of interpreting the Bible, would say is that. You see in that seed text the trajectory or movement toward an ultimate ethic. And you see that mm. if you move backward as well um, uh, in the Old Testament laws. So you see, you know, it's much better than the the external context, again, the ancient Near East. But then also you see a movement or a trajectory even within the biblical text from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Paul ups the ante right he doesn't mm. he doesn't say treat your slaves you know well but now he he says treat your slaves as brothers and sisters in Christ mm. um and so some people would say you know from paul we're tasked as modern interpreters mm. to see the trajectory even beyond what paul has written 
to the thing that he's pointing to that kingdom that ultimate kingdom ethic Absolutely. Um, and so i think there i think that's helpful to to read the bible in light of that obviously again the downside is it can be taken to an extreme uh, because there are going to be extremes of well you can just do that with um with and it's playing fast and loose with you know an author's motives or it moves into the realm of subjectivism because it it can claim sure. an author's trajectory without real objective you know substantiation from the text but sure. um i think there are instances like that but i think it, it is really helpful to read it at least again as a subset of the way we traditionally interpret the text because i think it reading like that will really clear up right you know in paul's case a lot of the misconceptions about Absolutely. the things he addressed well, that's where what I think you're getting at is it's not only about like what the words are saying, but it's what the words are doing in their context. Mm. So it's like the, you know, the actual effect of saying, you know, slaves, you know, or, or you know, masters, you know, treat your, treat them like a brother, your own slave. Right. To me, it's like, okay, what that's doing is like providing dignity and uh, yeah, just like respect to like the lowliest people, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And saying all of us should eat together and the, the rich people shouldn't eat first and get the best stuff, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, eat all the food. To me, what that's doing is it's it's lifting up the poor and the vulnerable and saying they have just as much dignity. Even if, even if it's not put in our terms, mm-hmm. what it's doing is lifting up the downtrodden. And so that's, to me, when I say like, you can extrapolate a principle from the teaching, the principle is, oh, like, the way of Christ or like, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven, what it does is it raises the dignity. It builds up, you know, the downtrodden, the right. poor, the vulnerable. That's like a, what you were saying, a kingdom ethic. And so I think that's, that's what we're trying to get at is, yeah, it's, it's more so about, uh, or what, what a study of the context can do is, uh, identify what the text is doing, not mm-hmm. just what the text is saying, which I think is really important. Yeah. I, yeah. And I'd say that's really the, the main point that we've been trying to get at in this whole discussion <laughs> is that the misconceptions and the false perceptions about, and the misunderstandings of who the apostle Paul was and what he taught uh, in large part are due to just a lack of understanding in terms of the, the context and, um, just the yeah just this the sparse materials that we have in terms of again his epistles we don't have audio recordings of every sermon he's that he, sure. you know, he taught so we're working with very limited resources um but you know as as believers of which you and i are as christians Absolutely. we trust that the holy spirit illuminates and guides us mm-hmm. as we read the text um, right and but again that's Absolutely. as I mentioned earlier that, that doesn't take away from the discomfort that modern understandings modern readings modern eyes have when it comes to reading an ancient text so sure. I definitely don't want to you know you know whitewash that or shove that under the rug either I'm just sure. saying that I think the Apostle Paul gets a bad rap <laughs> absolutely well and that's what and that's kind of how this conversation has started is you got you know those who put Paul up on his pedestal and he's the only one that matters. And then those who want to tear him down because they don't like, you know, what they think his words are saying. And I would say to me, both, I guess I think both are out of line. Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously I think what Paul, you know, Paul's writings are our scripture. So obviously they're in there for a reason and they're important. 
But I think why they're in there is to say, look at this, you know, this kind of first attempt at contextualizing the Jesus message in a new context. Um, you can pull some principles from that so that when you do the work of contextualization, which every, you know, culture has to do, mm -hmm. you know, you can use these universal principles to do that work um, rather than just it, you know, reading it and doing exactly what it says. You know, it's not a list of this is what you have to do. This is what you don't have to do. Uh, to me, it's more of a guiding line as to how to how to bring the gospel into different cultures. Yeah. Uh, so that's the one thing I would say for the people. I guess I guess that one thing addresses both to me because uh, mm -hmm. it essentially it decenters Paul as like Paul is the guy for understanding Christianity. And it's like, well, yeah, he's one of them. I would say his work is mostly in contextualizing the message, mm -hmm. uh, whereas you know the the main message we can't forget is like you know, about Christ, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and what he was saying and trying to bring the kingdom. Of yeah. And we also have other epistles in our new Testament. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Aside from Paul's. <laughs> right. Yeah. And a whole old Testament full of just rich. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, I thought that was, I thought that was the table of contents. I'm just messing. <laughs> anyway, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like we got there. Yeah. Right. I think that those are good thoughts to, to end on i'm sure we didn't cover i mean some people are gonna i think yeah, I, I think some of you are gonna be like really happy with what we covered but then some of you inevitably are gonna be like no you could have covered a lot more and i would agree yes. with with you right agree <laughs> there's a lot more than we can pack in what an hour just yes. over an there's hour, many maybe. books on this i mean that yeah. could be written and we'll and we'll that. link to some of these resources maybe to to get some of those gears going we'll link to those Absolutely. resources in the notes um and here's a good plug at the end of the season, we always like to you try to do a question and response episode. So, hey, send us your questions because then yes. maybe we can um, kind of yeah respond to those. We're not going to maybe provide, you know, tight, neat answers, but we can at least respond and kind of talk with you and, uh, yes. you know, hash out Give ideas. Give you some considerations. Yeah, we'll, be, we'll right. be happy to do that. But uh, yeah, I think this is a good spot to, to end on for this episode, Luke. Yeah, same here. Cool, cool, cool. Well, yeah, uh, thanks for listening, listeners. I appreciate your sitting in the pew with us, as we say. Absolutely. Uh, and if you want to support us financially, you can do that on Patreon. Uh, it's just www.patreon.com slash questions from the pew. Uh, if you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and that will help others find our podcast. Also, please comment and ask questions. Leave us a short voice message or text message at 312 725-2995. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.